0: Wrestlemania season is in the rear view mirror but the road to 1997 is beginning here this week on kicking out it to the home of nostalgic pro wrestling podcast I'm your host Dave Rosenbluth thank you all so very much for tuning in press and play hit the download button searching for this show and sharing it and doing what you do appreciate all the support for however many of you listen to this show thank you all so very much um Got a pretty fun show planned for you this week. I'm going to be recapping the March 31st, 1997 episode of Monday Night Raw. And the reason why I'm doing that in particular is because this was the episode where Bret the Hitman Hart reformed the Hart Foundation with his brother Owen and the British Bulldog, Davey Boy Smith. There are some other happenings on this show, but this is the, the focal point of this episode. Now, originally, I was going to do a watch along with Dennis we uh, we actually planned to record yesterday when I uh, when unfortunately there were some audio issues with my computer had to get that fixed uh, but you know back up and running schedule didn't permit me to do a watch along so I watched it myself and I'm going to recap it for all of you uh, and uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to it but I also want to recap with you WrestleMania weekend and what just transpired this past week um, a lot of there's a lot there's been a lot of positive regarding WWE and their two night stupendous extravaganza that was Wrestlemania 38 both Wrestlemania Saturday and Wrestlemania Sunday Um, a lot of other things happened in the wrestling world as well Ring of Honor Supercard of Honor we saw the Briscoes and FTR tear the house down we saw uh, the return of Samoa Joe to Ring of Honor he has signed a deal with All Elite Wrestling which is which owns Ring of Honor as well so he made the uh, the return to Ring of Honor Friday night I saw clips of that that was pretty cool um, and then, of course, the Hall of Fame took place on Friday evening. Saturday morning, we had NXT Stand to Deliver. Saturday night, WrestleMania Saturday. Then Sunday was WrestleMania Sunday. So I'm going to give you my thoughts and give you my takeaways, what I liked and uh, you know what I might have disliked, which there wasn't a whole lot from the weekend. So before I do that, please, by all means, go hit us up on Podbean and search Retromania. You will find... All the backlog archive shows from the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. You'll find Kicking Out at Two. You'll find Marking Out the Day's Extreme Watch Alongs. You'll find uh, Origins of Attitude, Gaijin Wrestling Radio, Hulkamania's Dead, all kinds of great bonus nostalgic wrestling content for your listening pleasure at your leisure, anytime. As Kobe would say, it's evergreen. You can listen to it anytime, and it's going to feel fresh and new. So you can find all that. You can search on any podcasting app by searching Retromania with a W. You'll find us on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and so many other great podcasting platforms available by searching Retromania with a W. Um, yeah. Hit us, hit us up on Facebook. You can find Kicking Out of Two on Facebook as well. Facebook.com forward slash Kicking Out of Two. Uh, pictures and articles and discussions. Uh, you know, I, I, I try as much as I can to to, to invigorate topics and discussions for all of you and you know not everyone is is big on the nostalgic pro wrestling they want to talk current wrestling or you know uh they don't want to talk at all but you know facebook's up there you can find updates links to archive shows all kinds of stuff our twitter handle as well so you can be on the lookout for that at kicking out too on twitter um yeah let's let's get into it let's let's get into what my thoughts were regarding wrestlemania weekend itself um i'll start with uh I'll start with the Hall of Fame. You know, going into the weekend, I was not really thrilled with the setup for the Hall of Fame because it really, it was going to be taking place immediately following SmackDown in the same arena. You know, bang for your buck for those in attendance that got to go to SmackDown and they got to see the Hall of Fame, but I wasn't really impressed uh, going into it, and When I I watched the Hall of Fame, I mainly watched Undertaker's speech, which I'll get to in a minute. But I replayed the Hall of Fame um, uh, earlier in the week. And I must say that um, the four inductee format following SmackDown wasn't as bad as I thought. I would like for it to continue to be its own evening and its own event, but... You know, people have complained over the years that the Hall of Fame ceremonies run too long. They got way too many inductees. The inductors take too long with their speeches. You know, people have referenced, you know, Mr. T, Hillbilly Jim. Ric Flair at one point even went overtime. So the four inductee format actually worked this year. And I think a lot of that had to do with the COVID restrictions and what what the company, you know, wasn't and were allowed to do. Uh, within the state of Texas I don't think there's many COVID restrictions but I think because the announcement of the on-sale tickets and everything that took place that that was taking place during a time when COVID was still pretty widely um, ongoing uh, caused them to kind of sandwich the Hall of Fame in with Friday night Smackdown but um, I must say it breezed by pretty quickly and it didn't make the speeches feel less than you know Steiner Brothers came out. They talked for about seven or eight minutes. Um, I would have liked to have seen Scott do something funny on the microphone, maybe cut the math promo, but um, he didn't. But it was cool to see the Steiners, one of my all-time favorite tag teams. Vader's wife, the late Big Van Vader, his his wife and his son, um, accepted the honors for him, you know, nice speech from them it was short but it was sweet didn't really need a whole lot maybe a story maybe they could have told a story or two but I get it they're crunch for time warrior award Chad Gaspard well deserving um and you know I I didn't watch the Queen Charmel induction because I just didn't think she deserved to be inducted into the hall of fame I'll be I'll be perfectly honest with you I just thought you know she doesn't have hall of fame quality she may be married to a two-time hall of famer but She didn't have Hall of Fame quality, in my opinion, when it comes to the body of her work with her career. She did did great in the Queen Charmel role, but before that, she was a fucking Nitro girl. Let's remember that, okay? Um, Nonetheless, what I really want to get to is Undertaker and his induction. I mean, I said it from the get-go, and if they kept that Hall of Fame ceremony dedicated just to him, where you got to induct just him, and maybe you had a couple of guys do speeches, you know, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, et cetera, um, then that would have been cool. But um, they gave Undertaker plenty of time. And I really enjoyed the the, the TED Talk presentation that you know he, he displayed. I mean, he had the earpiece microphone, he walked around, he addressed certain guys in the audience, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Shane McMahon. Uh, the, you know, the list goes on and on. Uh, talked about you know the the fi the the, the mental moves that he has um, in his career. Talking about treating people with respect, and I just thought the whole speech was was fantastic from start to finish. I'll go on record as saying that you know Bobby Heenan he's intelligent. Um, it was it was just well done, and I it was it definitely made the Hall of Fame a bright spot. He's intelligent. Um, it was it was just well done, and. I it was it definitely made the Hall of Fame a bright spot. I it was it definitely made the Hall of Fame a bright spot because a lot of people really don't look forward to the Hall of Fame anymore because of the the how the duration of it, how long it goes. But for me, I I really enjoyed it. I I'll be honest with you. I was at work when the show started, and by the time I got out of work, which was late at night, um, uh, Vince came out to do Undertaker's speech and. I did it I I I I did something I probably shouldn't have done and I put the the USB in my phone hooked it up to the USB drive and then put the phone on the dashboard in front of the odometer so I could drive and kind of watch the speech for for the duration of my drive home which was close to you know 45 minutes but um it was it was very well done I really really thought that you know Undertaker it, it was Thumbs up all the way, and he's definitely got a future in motivational speaking. I wouldn't be surprised if Vince throws him out there on the motivational speaking circuit, um, makes a little bit of money off of him. But yeah, he's definitely got a, a bright future in that. He'll definitely do public relations for the company, um, all kinds of all kinds of stuff. You're gonna you, you may not see Undertaker in the ring and on TV, but you know, um, definitely for sure, you will see him uh, as a part of WWE for. Many, many years to come. I'm expecting. I mean, he he made two appearances on Saturday and Sunday and did curtain calls for WrestleMania. Um, you know, crowd went crazy for that. So that was kind of cool. It was his goodbye to the WWE universe, I guess you could say. So the um, Undertaker took his rightful place in the Hall of Fame. That was pretty cool. Next morning was NXT Stand to Deliver. Um... Show was okay. I like the triple threat tag match with Imperium, uh, the Creed brothers, and MSK. I like the ladder match. That's always fun. Ladder match is one of my favorite matches. Um, Cameron Grimes winning the North American title. MSK winning the NXT tag team titles. I watched the Don uh, Don the Braun Breaker and Dolph Ziggler uh, NXT championship match. Thought it was a little sloppy. Glad Dolph won, but um, you know they, they they gave Braun the belt back on Monday Night Raw just the other night. So. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, I, I think Braun Breaker's got a future, but I think that first of all, you need to drop the name and just let him acknowledge the fact that he's a Steiner, and and run with the Steiner name, and don't fast track him to the main roster. You know, build him up. Don't he's he came in, he was, you know, they, they, once you shove him down our throats, we're not going to like him, and that's been proven fact when they did that with John Cena, when they did that with Roman Reigns, when they've done that with other guys. This is no different. So, hopefully, um, they, they scale back Braun just a little bit. Uh, but the show was okay. Uh, WrestleMania Night 1, I personally feel like WrestleMania Night 1 was better than WrestleMania Night 2 in terms of the excitement. Um, the crowd, was, I mean, it was a fresh crowd. was really into it. Um, you had the, the, the women's title match with Becky and Bianca Belair, I thought was second best match of the night. If you're going to go... With the match of the night, it was obviously the Cody Rhodes-Seth Rollins match between the two. I really thought that was uh, well done. Even though it was the worst kept secret that Cody Rhodes was returning to WWE and he was going to be Seth Rollins' mystery opponent, I thought the whole setup was done well. They let him use the American Nightmare copyright with the the, the logo, the music, everything. They let him just be him and hopefully they continue to let him be him. And I think that's that's really cool. and I don't think him and Rollins are done based on what we saw on Monday Night Raw. So that's, I'm going to be looking forward to that. And the story that he is now, you know, his, his, he's trying to live the dream that his father couldn't live, and that's be the WWE champion. So I think that, I think there's going to be some really good stuff coming from Cody Rhodes, um, in the coming weeks and months now that he's returned to the WWE. But the match with Rollins was fantastic. And, uh, I'll be honest with you, I didn't have high expectations going into the, the Steve Austin-Kevin Owens KO show confrontation, uh, but when they turned it into a match and Austin wrestled a 14-minute match, he took a suplex on the floor and he suplexed Owens on the, on the ramp a couple of times, it I, I was fun, it was entertaining, um, he got to have somewhat of a send-off, he stuns him for the win, he drinks the beer, everybody goes crazy, we all expected that, I wasn't mad at it. A lot of people were like, oh, this 57-year-old dude coming out here, having these matches, um, taking a spot away from someone on the main roster. But honestly, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. This is a nostalgic wrestling podcast, and I I thought Stone Cold getting that moment. And and Kevin Owens did a great job in in drawing the heat and really piling it on um, in this angle, really holding his end of the bargain. So... Um, that was night one. I thought night one, like I said, was a lot of fun. Uh, Drew McIntyre, you know, he beat Corbin. That was okay. It uh, wasn't terrible. It was actually a pretty good match. Um, the Usos won. Rick Boogs hurt his knee, so they had to cut the match short. But um, the overall, the show, I thought, you know, night one, they really kicked things off into high gear. I was like, man. night t- night. T- oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to mention. Logan Paul. Celebrity involvement at WrestleMania this year. Tagging with The Miz against Mysterio and Dominic I was impressed. I, I I mean, I had a feeling that they were going to really show up and show out for him, and he definitely did. He he held up his end. Honestly, if uh, Logan Paul makes millions of dollars being Logan Paul with these boxing fights and his influence on social media, um, he's a magnet. Uh, you know, I didn't really know who he was until you know just recently with the with the the boxing matches he'd been involved in. But nonetheless, um, he definitely made a mark and. If he were to say, you know what, I want to do this WWE thing full-time, he would be one of the most successful crossover performers ever. I, and I, and I, I'll stand by that. His mannerisms in the ring, the way he conducted himself, the way he executed the moves. I mean, he did the three amigos to, to draw heat for Eddie Guerrero, then the frog splash, the way he, like I said, how he played up to the crowd, everything. His entrance, you know, the, just the, his ring psychology. I was like, oh, my God this guy's got it, he gets it, and he he hit a home run, uh, and I, think, I don't think he's done just yet, you know, I heard a rumor that he wanted to, part of his deal with WWE is that he wanted to turn babyface after this match, and it looks like they did that, with Miz turning on him at the end, I wouldn't be surprised if later this year, maybe even WrestleMania next year, they set something up with Miz and Logan Paul, because uh, Logan Paul killed it for sure. Um, so that was night one. Thought night one really hit it out of the you know hit it out of the park. I thought night two was going to be a tough act to follow, um, and they didn't disappoint. Uh, night two, I think, was still great. Not as good as the first, but I love the triple threat tag with RKO, the Street Profits, and um, um, Alpha Academy. I thought that was fun. Uh, the Johnny Knoxville, Sami Zayn, Anything Goes match. I our living room. We had you know Dennis was here, my brother Justin, Daryl, my wife. We were laughing. I thought it was funny. It, it, some people looked at it as like, oh, it's it's stupid. And, you know, Sami Zayn lost credibility, et cetera, et cetera. But for me, I really, really enjoyed it. It just, I felt like a kid watching it. You know what I mean? And, you know, Knoxville with the jackass stuff and Wee Man came in and he body slammed Sami Zayn. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was, it was just a lot of fun to watch. Uh, that was what I liked um, regarding that match. The... Um, what else was there? Those, you know, I'll say this: Edge and AJ Styles. I was really looking forward to that match. That was my show stealer. They didn't. They, they didn't have a bad match, but it wasn't the dream match that I expected, and it had nothing to do with the finish. I think um, the character transformation that Edge has um, implemented, going a little bit more darker, kind of less like cult like following. Now that he's got Damian Priest with him, I. Uh, I I like it, but it's changed his ring work and you don't see like he's not enough. He's not like high impact. Like he used to be. Um, I was expecting a real flashy back and forth match between him and AJ. And it seemed to be slow and, and, and methodical and prodding at times. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think that is due to the part that edge edge's character changed. And therefore he had to change how he had to work. Um, but I definitely look forward to seeing them go at it again. I'm sure they will over time. Um, what else we have? Uh, oh, Pat McAfee. Pat McAfee, man. Let me tell you, I didn't really know who this guy was when they when WWE would introduce him on you know the the kickoff shows, and um, I didn't I didn't have a clue who he was, and I didn't realize how popular he was either. You know, he's got his 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 YouTube show, The Pat McAfee Show, which I've watched a couple times and talks a lot about football, pop culture, pro wrestling. And so um, I didn't realize how popular he was. And when he came out with the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders for his match with Austin Theory, you could see the look on his face. Like he looked like he belonged there. You know, he wasn't just an announcer having a wrestling match. To me, it resonated. Through the television screen that a wrestling fan just won a contest to have a match at WrestleMania, and that was him. I mean, it was it was really cool to see, and he delivered. He killed it in the match with with all the moves and his chemistry in the ring with Austin Theory. I mean, and credit Austin Theory being the pro with more experience, helping make that match what it was. I really loved the match. I could have cared less for the impromptu match with Vince. They could have kept it at him and Vince having a confrontation post match. Maybe Theory attacks him, but Austin coming out and that pop he got saved it, and you know trying to relive the rivalry with him and Vince. Even though Vince botched the stunner, it was still fun to see. I, I was a kid jumping out of my seat when I, I literally I jumped out of my seat when Austin came out to confront Vince because it was just, it was so cool. It was it was me of 1999 all over again, and the main event. Wasn't bad. Uh, expected Roman to win. He did. But um, looks like he might have gotten hurt in the process. Uh, but he was on Raw the other night. And it looks like he's going to you know, move forward as the undisputed universal WWE champion. Uh, whatever they want to call it. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing. Hopefully they keep it at one title. It wouldn't surprise me if they, mur- they split the titles again. But um, maybe they'll create a new belt. Who knows. Um, but overall... I thought WrestleMania two nights was just a lot of fun. It really was. It was it was a lot of fun. And um I think moving forward, the two night format is going to work for them because you're gonna get plenty of guys on the card. And the shows aren't gonna drag. They went three, three and a half hours. You know, almost you know, one one night they went four. I mean, that's not bad. That that's enough to digest for a night, you know? And then you give them two nights. Um it's like to me, I, I I I try to equate WrestleMania, the two night concept, as you know, the holiday season. A lot of people celebrate Christmas Eve and make it just as important as Christmas Day, and that's why I look at WrestleMania two nights as you know, WrestleMania Saturday is Christmas Eve, WrestleMania Sunday is Christmas Day. So um, going forward, I think we're gonna get um, it, it's gonna be a more enjoyable experience for fans for WrestleMania um, and the two night concept. So that is that. Let's get into. The recap this week covering the March 31st, 1997 edition of Monday Night Raw. This show is taped on March the 25th. Uh, two nights following WrestleMania 13 from Rockford, Illinois. Um, the show opens with clips from Bret Hart's um, heel turn promo where he tells America to kiss his ass. We also see Shawn Michaels confronting Bret Hart defending the United States of America. And then we see Bret applying the figure four ring post spot. We get the opening pyro. And the announcers hyped the card for the evening. Brett versus The Rock. Rocky Maivia. Well, he wasn't The Rock back then. He was still Rocky Maivia. We get uh, Legion of Doom promo as well as the British Bulldog and Owen Hart for the European Championship. And Triple H and Gold Dust. All on this program and so much more. Um, first match on the card is Owen Hart and the British Bulldog for the European Championship. This match starts out as, as a brawl. Um, and it's funny. Owen actually low-blowed the Bulldog in front of the referee after the bell had rang. But the referee didn't call for a DQ, which I thought was weird. Um, The announcers talk about the upcoming tag team title match at the In Your House pay-per-view as we see a graphic pop up with the LOD on the screen as they question the team of Bulldog and Owens' future as the champions following this match that is currently ongoing. Um, Not a normal technical wrestling exhibition as you'd expect from these two to the start. Um, The announcers then speculate the feelings amongst the Hart family members as this match continues. Maybe they're foreshadowing Brett's arrival at the conclusion of this match. I don't know. Uh, but the match eventually picks up. Uh, we get back and forth offense from both. Owen's playing the heel more than Davy Boy. Um, and then we get a big pop from the crowd as Bulldog attempts the sharpshooter on Owen, but Owen counters. And then Owen sends Davy into the ropes, leapfrogs Davy, and Davy bumps the ref to the outside. Owen goes to the outside and grabs a chair from the timekeeper, but Bulldog blocks it with a kick to the gut. Then the British Bulldog attempts to nail Owen with the chair, but Brett Hart comes down to make the save and stops Davey boy as Owen tries to get in some cheap shots on Davey. Then Brett gets up, stops him, as he's now in the middle of his brother and his brother-in-law. Uh, Brett would grab the mic and tell Owen and Davey that the fans want this. They want to see the family fighting. Brett makes a plea to them that he needs them. Blames the United States of America for putting the family against each other. He points out to Davey Boy, remember the SummerSlam match we had? We fought like men and we made up after. But when it was over and when we got back to the United States, they turned us against each other. Then he turns to Owen and says, and look what they did to you and me. Brett points out his involvement in getting Owen into the WWF. The fans pushed them against each other. A wedge between the whole family, Brett claims, as he talks about his role in helping raising Owen as a kid getting him dressed for school, sticking up for him against a teacher that bullied him, looked out for him when he came into the World Wrestling Federation, etc. Which, <laughs> I, I stopped in my tracks when he said, remember when that teacher bullied you? I mean, in today's world, if a teacher bullied a student, you know, the the the, the reaction on social media and in the public eye, oh my goodness, this person wouldn't make it out alive, Um once Brett starts talking about the personal relationship with Owen, Owen begins to tear up as Brett continues to illus- illustrate how much the United States of America has turned them against each other. He's asking them for his help. He needs them. Brett tells Owen that he loves him, and here comes the waterworks from Owen Hart. Brett would then hug Owen. And then hugs Davy, and all three embrace with the crowd booing. And here's what I took away from that: as they're hugging each other, you get a close-up shot of Bret Hart, and he's kind of like looking at the audience with such disdain, like, you know, like, like this is what you've done to me and my family, and now, you know, now you're in for it. I, I, I thought that look was just very telling, and and something that I think um, is of great importance in this in this segment here, especially with with Bret. Um, all three of them walk out together as the crowd shares their disapproval for this family reunion. Uh, then Lawler, who's known for being a rival to Brett the Hitman Hart, actually takes up for the Hart family and the reunion as Vince McMahon questions the motives. JR even backs up Brett's point as saying, when Brett says America doesn't know anything about family values, how can we disagree more as he's referring to the crowd booing them? and Which goes to Justin's point that we talked about a few weeks ago regarding um brett and being right justin felt like brett was always right a lot of people have felt like brett was always right in the build-up for this match um for this angle that the audience did turn on him and a lot of people could say that usa turned heel on brett brett didn't turn heel on the united states um this was a great segment to start the show um, one of the greatest storylines in wrestling history with the United States versus Canada. This would eventually just spawn off into other things, but this was this really got the ball rolling. And this was probably around the time where I started changing the channel more often. I was I was trying you know I was trying to catch more Raw than Nitro on some nights because this USA Canada storyline was so gripping and so captivating. I, I was just enthralled by it. Um, we come back from a commercial break as Sonny makes her way down to the ring to join Jr. Vince, and the King for commentary as they once again recap the Hart family reunion. Uh, Lawler again would take up for the Harts and share his approval for this family uniting. Sonny even shares her sentiments over the over the Harts the getting back together. She was almost as touched as the King, she said, in, in tears in the back, as a matter of fact. As she's laying it on pretty thick for the audience at home. She says she'd love to get her hands on that team. I'm sure she would have. Um, the match that's taking place as they're talking over this is El Moscow versus Supernova, wrestlers from the AAA organization. Um, typical Lucha-style match that the announcers don't really seem to care for as they're advertising upcoming live events and discussing the Hart family reuniting. Um, they announced Sid will take on Brett at the In Your House pay-per-view in a few weeks. Um, and then we see Sonny heading over to the Spanish announcer's table, speaking very limited Spanish with the announcers. And then the finish comes for the match when Moscow delivers a springboard moonsault for the win. Um, Sonny would embrace Jerry Lawler as they go to commercial. Um, nobody really cared about this match. The announcers didn't care. The, the focal point was talking about the the Hart family reuniting and Bret's intentions behind it. And albeit, I understand you have to drive home an important part of the story. What was the point of putting these talents out there? Especially when people don't... Most Most WWF fans at that time didn't know who these guys were. And they were from another organization in Mexico, another country. So it would have been nice if they kind of emphasized what was taking place between the two in the ring. But um, that wasn't the case here. Um, We come back from the break, and it's the Legion of Doom. They're out to discuss their upcoming tag team title match at the In Your House pay-per-view against the newly formed Hart Foundation of Owen Hart and the British Bulldog. This was a typical LOD promo. Um, Animal would stick up for the United States and direct his disdain for Bret Hart's comments about the country. He then directed his focus to the tag titles, as he mentions the, the the Chicago Bulls from the NBA were the best team in basketball, and to be the best team in the WWF, you have to win the tag team championship, which I thought was a nice little analogy, because at that time the Bulls were, quite frankly, they were the face of the NBA, you know, especially Michael Jordan. Ninety-seven, they won a the title that year. I mean, it was, I think, ninety-seven. That was the year they. They went um seventy-two and ten, if I'm not mistaken. If it was either ninety six or ninety-seven, one of those years. But um, yeah, they were they were they were the cock of the walk when it came to pro basketball. Um if you didn't live in Chicago and you were a Bulls fan, you had a Bulls jersey. I had a Rodman jersey from the Bulls. because um, I liked Rodman. But uh the um the, the analogy I thought was well done in this promo, and then we get Hawk, you know, who's always been known for Something weird and something quirky to come out of his mouth in his in his uh in his promos and you know, he says that they plan to knock the doggy dumplings out of Davy Boy and then stinky kick the phlegm out of every muscle out of stinky Owen Hart. Oh what a rush. That's pretty much the the gist of that promo. Um nice little hype for their tag title match. I like the fact that the LOD were in the tag mix, uh coming back. I feel like they had to in order to um, establish them as major players in the WWF. A lot of people look down on this run because they weren't the LOD of old. Maybe that's true, but um, back in 97, 25 years ago, it was nice to see them in the tag mix, especially against two talents like uh, Owen and Davey. Uh, We come back from commercial break, and it's the Honky Tonk Man coming down to the ring. Um, Once again, the announcers are really playing up Bret Hart's comments about America and lacking family values, talking more about the Hart's reuniting. JR being especially disappointed in Bret Hart. Um, Then we get the honky-tonk man jumping on commentary, strumming the guitar, as the real double J, Jesse James, makes his way to the ring with a six-year-old special manager, Nathan Arnold, who looks like he could have cared less. (laughs) I wonder if his parents signed him up for this contest. They must have. Um... James saying with my baby tonight to a smattering of dead silence. We could tell that that gimmick got over like a fart in church. Like I said, the kid didn't even seem to care that he was in the ring. Either that or he was just really shy, but I don't think he cared. Um, the match coming up here is double J, the real double J Jesse James taking on enhancement talent, Jerry Fox with honky tonk man on commentary, scouting double J to be his next protege. Um, he's got his eyes on him and he thinks that he's the guy to guide double J to the top. Uh, Pump handle slammed by the Real Double J onto Jerry Fox for the win. Once again, another match nobody cares about, but at least this time with Honky on commentary, they were trying to establish the story moving forward that he was looking to uh, manage the Real Double J. So at least there was some kind of storyline continuity when it came to the match itself. Um, Post-match, we get the Honky Tonk man in the ring to um, try to seal the deal with with Jesse James. Uh, He imagines his guidance... To bring Jesse to the top. Even donning some jet black hair. And he says he's going to help him grow some sideburns. Which I thought that was kind of funny. Even help him dress like the Honky Tonk Man. So we're looking at Honky Tonk Man 2.0. Honky wants Jesse to have the guitar. It's a family heirloom. And he wants Jesse to consummate the deal. By becoming the new Honky Tonk Man. Um, Jesse James grabs the mic and says he's speechless. He doesn't know what to say. But he knows what to do. And he destroys the guitar in front of the Honky Tonk Man. He says the guitar is out of tune and walks off to a pretty decent pop. So uh, the, the the most noteworthy thing out of this segment was that the guitar broke and it got a big pop from the crowd. So <laughs> um, we we'll go to commercial and come back and it's the WWF Slam of the Week with China slamming Bart Gunn on the floor from the previous week's Monday Night Raw. As the Nation of Domination make their way down to the ring, consisting of Crush and Savio Vega, accompanied by Clarence Mason, the other randoms, and J.C. Ice and Wolfie D. wrapping them down to the ring. Um, J.R. would note that Farouk is absent this week, stemming from injuries uh, occurring during the Chicago Street fight at WrestleMania 13. Um, Savio Vega and Crushwood attack the two unnamed enhancement talents to kick things off in the match. During the match, Vince conducts a telephone interview with Shawn Michaels from his home in San Antonio, Texas, wanting him to discuss the attack from Bret Hart the previous week on Raw. Shawn says that he's got a lot to say to Bret Hart, but he won't do it over the phone. But next week on Raw is War, he will do it face to face. All right. He hangs up as the announcers look forward to that confrontation. Um, then we go back to the action, the several double team moves and frequent tags by the nation. Crush nails a second rope elbow onto this random uh, enhancement talent as Savio holds him on his knee, which it just so happens to be the demolition finish. What a coincidence. For the count and the victory. Um, nobody really cared for this match because the announcer seemed more focused on Shawn Michaels being involved and his involvement. You know, on the phone and next week on Monday Night Raw. So, um, which that lasted all of 45 seconds. Uh, we get a hype up video for Ken Shamrock as we show clips of um, his exhibition with Billy Gunn from a few weeks prior and his post match. Uh, uh, Confrontation with Brett the Hitman Hart from WrestleMania 13. And then next week they announced that he's going to be holding a No Holds Barred exhibition. As we see Paul Bearer backstage with a casket as the announcers hype up the next segment. Will Paul Bearer reunite with The Undertaker? That's coming up next. And we're back from commercial break. The second hour of Raw is up. They got pyro. It's very similar to how Nitro used to do their thing. And I thought they didn't pay attention to the competition. Tsk, tisk tisk. The announcers also hype up the Triple H Gold Dust match for later in the evening, as well as Stone Cold Steve Austin making an appearance on the show. Paul Bear would make his way down the ring, and as he's doing that, we see clips of uh, last week. He's begging The Undertaker to reunite with him now that he's the WWF champ. We even see Mankind on the Titantron from last week pleading with Uncle Paul to take him back. And then we cut back to a live shot of Paul Bear in the ring, admitting that he made a mistake turning on The Undertaker. But he did it for him. He realized that he made that mistake, but he did it so that he could become his own man. And he's the WWF champion now, which he should have been a long time ago. He held him back, and he's sorry. He needs to come back home. He needs Undertaker to come out to meet him face-to-face. Well, would you have it? The lights go out. The Undertaker's music plays. Undertaker makes his way down to the ring with his newly won World Wrestling Federation Championship title. And the announcers hype up the upcoming WWF title match with The Undertaker and Mankind. In your house, Revenge of The Taker! The Undertaker would make his way down to the ring and lock the casket sitting at ringside before he makes his way into the ring, making sure that there's no surprises, which is a pretty smart move on his part. Because, you know, if I were walking down to the ring and I saw a casket... I would make sure I had my casket key with me too. <laughs> Where did he get that key from? Amazon? My goodness. Um, the announcers on commentary questioned Paul Bearer's intentions behind this. But The Undertaker, much to the surprise of many, says that he can never forget Paul Bearer's betrayal, but something he might be able to forgive. Which kind of took me back. I forgot about this. I'll be honest with you, they did. Um... Taker would then illustrate their history in the WWF as his music is still playing in the background, which I thought was an interesting touch. Undertaker would cut a promo and his music would still be playing in the background. I don't know if they were going for the New Jack ECW thing or if they were trying to kind of add more to the dark side character of the Undertaker with the music in the background. Um, Taker says he owes Paul Bear for his time spent with him in years past and hands over the WWF championship to Paul Bear but then nails him with a right hand and stalks him around the ringside area When then goes to grab the urn that's sitting on top of the casket. Crowd's pretty into it when all of a sudden, Mankind emerges from under the ring and throws a fireball into the eyes of the Undertaker. Oh my goodness. Mankind would hug Paul Bearer as, as they were leaving the ringside area. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, Psycho Sid chases them off into the crowd. Undertaker... Fighting to see, he can't see, his vision's all messed up, doesn't know where he is. He stumbles over the guardrail to the front row. The, ini- the officials try to assist the Undertaker in the crowd as we cut to a commercial break. Um, I thought this was a really good segment. I liked it. I totally forgot about, you know, Undertaker and Paul Bear. I didn't forget about the fireball angle, but I forgot about the fact that it was Paul Bear that wanted to reunite with the Undertaker to kind of set that whole thing up and it really set the stage and reignited no pun intended the rivalry between Undertaker and Mankind. You know Undertaker needed a credible opponent for the WWF his WWF championship run post WrestleMania and given the fact that he he feuded with Mankind for 6 months, 7 months in, in 1996 with the, the the no DQ matches, the boiler room match, the buried alive match and Mankind had victories over him in multiple matches. Man, it was it, it 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 was a fit that mankind would be the first challenger for Undertaker's World Wrestling Federation title. So I thought it was very well done. I I really liked the angle. Um, following that, we um, we come back from commercials. We see a recap of what just took place with the Fireball incident, and then Sid is backstage. The announcers are conducting an interview with him, uh, offering his reaction to what he just saw. And he tells Mankind that when you're playing with fire with The Undertaker, you're going to burn in hell. Decent promo. Nothing too flashy, but nothing terrible either. Um, Given the fact that they had a WrestleMania 13 match just a few few weeks prior, um, I was kind of surprised that, Sid was involved in this angle. He kind of had his his hands in many cookie jars. I didn't remember at the time that he uh, he came to the aid of The Undertaker here. I thought that he was, you know, involved with Bret Hart uh, because Bret Hart cost him the WWF Championship at WrestleMania that year. Um, we'd get Triple H making his way to the ring for his match with Goldust as he see clips from the WrestleMania 13 match that led to the match that's transpiring currently. China and Marlena have been banned from ringside. Um... Match starts up pretty hot. Goldust runs down to the ring, attacks Hunter from the onset, throws his wig in his face and, you know, lays in some right hands, throws him out into the outside. Hunter bounces around the outside ring, uh, ringside area. Um, Hunter would then eventually get the upper hand on the outside and deliver a suplex onto the ramp, which is pretty damn unforgiving, I must say. Uh, Once again, the announcers continue to recap the Hart family reunion during this match as Triple H counters his offense with... um, uh suplexes, high knees, um and some rest holds to 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 get the advantage over Goldust. We see a split screen shot showing Lawler expressing his emotions over the Hart Family Reunion. They I mean, they're really milking this thing. Not just with the Harts, but with Lawler too because at one point Lawler was this he hated rival of Bret Hart and I think they're trying to get people to believe that Lawler stands by what Bret Hart and the Hart Foundation are promoting. So, um it was tongue and cheek, and it was kind of corny at times, but um, you know, it was it was it was it was funny at the same time. Um, overall, this is a good back and forth match. Uh, Hunter would throw Goldust onto the floor as we see China at the top of the ramp. Hunter would continue to work on Goldust on the outside as we cut to a commercial and then back from the break. Um, they announced that Mankind and Sid are going to wrestle each other next week. As we see China making her way into the ring, she kicks Goldust in the ribs, causing a disqualification. Your winner of this match? Goldust. That's right, Goldust by disqualification. But the, it's not over. Uh, Hunter attacks. Uh, referees try to jump in, restrain China. Hunter continues to beat on Goldust. Then Hunter shoves Pat Patterson down. Which is this is the second wrestler to to get physical with Pat Patterson in a number of weeks on Raw's War, and then all of a sudden Patterson jumps up and makes a comeback, fighting Hunter in the corner, delivering some shots to the face to the rib area. Crowd pops big for it. I would say this is probably like the second biggest pop of the night. It was it was pretty big. He was he was really laying it in into Hunter. Um, China would break free from the referees and nail Pat Patterson from behind, then stomp him in the corner. Goldust would make a comeback, clotheslining a hunter to the outside, then comes face-to-face with China as the referee would break things up. The post-match for this was pretty damn good. Um, They were really establishing China as a force, and I thought this was a great way of doing it without taking away from uh, some of the male talents. Because I know that during that period of time, it it wasn't very popular for a woman to be putting her hands on a man because a man wouldn't be able to put his hands on a woman. So in this case here... um, they, 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 it was well done. How she just kind of, you know, barged through the little puny referees and was this real imposing figure facing off with gold dust. I thought it was. I, I, I thought overall the segment was well done. Um, we see Stone Cold Steve Austin pacing backstage, going into the commercial break as he is out next. They they come back from the break and recap Bret Hart's reconciliation with Owen and the Bulldog. And then Stone Cold Steve Austin is out for an in-ring interview with Vince McMahon. Sporting the bandage over his head from the WrestleMania 13 match with uh, Brett the Hitman Hart. Um, Austin wants to make it clear that he did not quit. He never said, I quit. He said, Ken Shamrock could have had 10 hearing aids in his ear and he still wouldn't have heard me say, I quit because I never said it. Um Austin disputes Brett's claims of beating him to a bloody pulp. He states that he passed out from the blood loss as he's continuing to trash talk Bret Hart. He calls him a piece of trash. He disputes Brett's claims of being a hero to the fans of the WWF. And Austin ain't changing for nobody. Um, I thought this was interesting, this upcoming line. He says, whether you put him in the ring with a good guy or and they boo him, or a bad guy and they cheer him, it doesn't make a damn because he's whipping somebody's ass and getting the job done. Uh, I thought it was interesting they kind of broke that little fourth wall there. Um, In in many ways, Austin's character really didn't change. Um, He was who he was, and the audience loved him for it, and it would just continue to grow over the years. So um, I thought that was interesting they kind of brought that up. He would then call Bret Hart for a fight, but Bret responds on the Titantron. Bret claims he kicked Austin's ass at WrestleMania 13, Um, he claims to be finished with Austin and then Austin says, you got to kill him to finish him. Uh, really good, intense back and forth. mic work from these two, um, made me believe definitely makes me want to see them wrestle again 25 years ago. And I'd even go back and watch the, their match. if this were happening today, I would definitely be interested in their match now. Um, it looks like it's far from over from these two. Uh, as we see Rocky Maivia backstage awaiting his title defense with when they show clips of Brett Hart's attack on him from the previous week. As we we get the, the main event, it's Brett the Hitman Hart taking on Rocky Maivia for the Intercontinental Championship. This is a good match. This really was a good match. Brett worked the majority of the match um, as a heel, obviously. He took control uh, using some of his new heel tactics with the fans. Uh, really milking it up. Um, the fans seem to care more about booing him than actually cheering Rocky, which wasn't a good thing at that time. Um, commentary once again really driving that point home about Brett's issues with the United States, his change in attitude, the family reunion. Uh, they're they're really committed to this turn, and I and and I applaud them for that because I think they did a great job really driving this, that and lot and of, of, a of bad things to to occur of in the WWF. Bad things um, to occur. We would see a things to, to occur in the WWF. Um, we would see a, um, a top rope uh, cross body that was reversed by Brett for a two count from the Rock. Rocky, I should say. And then Brett delivers the figure four on the ring post as the referee's call for the bell. But Brett won't let go of it. Uh, and disqualification at the hands of Brett the Hitman Hart, your winner by DQ and still Intercontinental Champion, Rocky my via um stone cold would then make his make his way down to the ring to save rocky and attack the hitman but bulldog and owen uh get involved and then all three of them attack austin on the outside as the legion of doom run down and chase off the hearts as they retreat into the crowd when the show goes off the air um yeah and that about does it for this episode of monday night raw from march 31st 1997 um I'll be honest with you. When I watched it back, um, didn't remember a whole lot that took place. But the only really noteworthy things from this show was the the forming of the New Heart Foundation, as well as the Undertaker Mankind fireball angle. The rest of the show was just kind of there. But uh, the, the the two major developments, I thought it was a pretty good show overall. With 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 this you know New Heart Foundation and the Undertaker Mankind stuff for the title. Um, those if if the rest of the show was better. I'd still be interested in just those two angles because they were they they were really good. And overall, um, I had a lot of fun watching that back. And originally, like I said, Dennis and I were going to watch that. But with our, our schedules and with the audio issue I was having with my setup, unfortunately, we couldn't get it together. Um, next week, we got a fun show planned for you as we're going to be recapping WCW Monday Nitro from April the 7th, 1997. It's the episode that takes place the night after Spring Stampede, which was headlined by Diamond Dallas Page against the macho man Randy Savage for, well, actually it wasn't for a title. It was just for for bragging rights, for pride, I guess you could say. Um, The reason why I picked that Nitro in particular is because that's the first time we really see some vulnerability in the NWO group uh, on television within the context of the story we see some dissension some tension some turmoil maybe foreshadowing some things to come in the coming weeks and months with the nwo as they continue to take over wcw uh so yeah that's a lot of fun go back and watch that um on peacock as we recap it for you next week here on the home of nostalgic pro wrestling podcasts kicking out at two And with that being said it's about that time that we officially put this show down for the three count, and we will see you all next week.